It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know what I want. <laughs> Not Samsung, Craig. Not Samsung. No, I want to Pretty bad. The Raptors lose 108 to 100 to the very injured Memphis Grizzlies. It's not like the Raptors have a whole bunch of their guys right now either. Having traded a bunch of players, linchpins of the team, Jakob Pertle remains injured with an ankle. And the Raptors, who seem like they're maybe not such a great team, lose to a maybe not such great team. That wasn't great grammar. A team that maybe isn't so great in the Memphis Grizzlies, 108 to 100. You have Vince Williams Jr. with a huge game. Jaron Jackson Jr. with a massive game. Just boogied on everyone. Luke Kennard got a whole heap of shots up. David Roddy with a bunch of rebounds. I think he had like six offensive boards. The Raptors got beasted and feasted on in the paint. And they got beasted and feasted on on the glass once again. And, you know, it's tough when you look at a game like this and you want to say like, what are we looking for? What is this team trying to accomplish? And you see like some of the guys who are meant to have like big games, like quickly is really struggling. Jonte Porter, who had had some great moments with the Raptors relative to expectation, I should say. He only plays like five, six minutes. They aren't able to create offense consistently at this point. Now, was that supposed to be their calling card? I don't think so. Have they gotten a little bit more defensive compete against a couple of the teams over the past couple of games? I think they have across the board, but they haven't had the personnel to do it. And then offensively, a lot of their stuff has dried up. Let's start with the positives. Adamu says, late night crew, let's do this. Hell yeah. Sungjin Woo is in here as well. The positives, people are still watching after, you know, a game like that, even when you had to wait hours after I interview everybody at, you know, at the, the arena then take the long bus ride home out here back to Rexdale. The good thing, the motion offense that has been, you know, a boon for RJ Barrett's career to this point in Toronto continues to provide him great looks with momentum downhill. He's shooting 71% at the rim since becoming a Toronto Raptor. And he was 12 of 18 in this game. 12 of 16 within the like inside the arc. Had nine boards, his rebounding has always been good. This wasn't like a great game for assists, as far as I understand it, for RJ. Like, they still had 31 assists. They cleared their their season average. But RJ was breaking through the back line of the defense, getting all the way to the rim. Don't even worry about a counter. Just go get the shot up. Huge positive there. He played 37 minutes. Another positive. Uh, Scotty, a lot of turnovers in this game. Five. But the positive, I think that the Raptors found something late. He finishes with 22 points, 12 boards, 8 assists, 6 blocks. Now, the blocks speak to just the overall playmaking aspect of his defense, which he'll always be able to bring. 
there's going to be plays that guys take off every single game. That's going to happen. But Scotty, his utility, strength, all that kind of stuff on defense has been just such a big deal. And then offensively, yes, he's had a lot of turnover since the trade. And as he stretches, you know, his legs to see what type of possessions he does best in and does it with a fairly limited front court around him with like Thaddeus Young and Jonte Porter, you know, maybe maybe they're playing like Bruce Brown a couple, you know, like maybe a position up or so. Chris Boucher and these guys, he it's tough to play make on the inside, but even still, the Raptors who needed to find buckets late, really trying to storm a comeback against, you know, the Grizzlies. What did they go to? The motion stuff wasn't working. What are we trying to run? We pick our favorite guy, our best guy, Scotty Barnes. We get the ball into him in the post, and we ask him to create, draw attention, make reads, all that kind of stuff. And that's good. That's fantastic. It wasn't an efficient night. He shot 43%. It was a grimy night. You know, eight assists is good, but eight assists to five turnovers, not sightly or seemly at all. 12 boards, big on the glass. The six blocks, as I said, that's the positives. That's what we can stay on here. The Grizzlies are a really tough team, specifically for Scotty. And I'll tell you why. He's just was sitting there all night at seven feet tall. Defensive player of the year, the reigning one. Jaron Jackson Jr., who is one of my favorite. If you want to read a really fun piece I wrote last year, it's about Pascal, Jaron, and Scotty. And how last year when these two teams played, I thought that it was one of the best examples of how big men drive with live dribbles. And all three of them played awesome. And this game is another example of that. Scotty and Jaron both kind of going at one another. Jaron definitely getting the better of that matchup. Scotty doing so in more of the more stagnant post-ups. But Jaron being able to like flatten out up top, take Scotty or whoever is on him at the time all the way to the rim. He's so good with that one left-handed dribble, right? Like he can in and out. He can shake and bake with the left hand. He's so comfortable going left. And that means that his left to right crossover is really, really dangerous. And that means his spin to his right is really, really dangerous because if someone wants to dig in or play in on his left, he's so comfortable going back to the strong hand. Bangs a triple or two. He was awesome. I love, I like, I love Jared Jackson Jr. For, for anybody who like some of the scouts I talked to, like pro scouts or prospect scouts, I spent like two hours at summer league talking to an NBA scout about how fantastic Jared Jackson Jr. was and his driving game we thought was going to be a huge weapon in the playoffs. Only the Grizzlies aren't going to the playoffs. And we also thought that the Raptors might be going to the playoffs and how unique and cool Scotty's driving game would be in the playoffs. I don't think we'll see either of those things this season in the playoffs, but we're seeing them tonight. And so I think that's like been a fantastic development. The Raptors overall, though, you just, they lose too much in the front court. Emmanuel quickly, you know, before the game, Darko, he mentions that he wants Emmanuel taking eight, nine, 10 threes a game. He cites that he's maybe one of the best three-point shooters above the break in the NBA. Before the game, he was actually the best above the break shooter in the NBA at 46%. So I don't know if Darko saw the tweet. I don't know. It's definitely more likely that the the Raptors' interior stats guys um, and girls and NBs all know what they're talking about and give them those stats prior to somebody tweeting it on Twitter. Um, But quickly wasn't able, they weren't able to kind of like juice his attempts 
They weren't able to get him loose with a lot of screens. He talked about a post game. We have to set screens higher so he can kind of have a lane to run into. Also thought that one of the ATOs was a twirl action leading quickly. You know, a twirl action is where, well, actually, I won't bother explaining because I don't have my notepad. A twirl action is like a convoluted um, pin down, let's say. Basically, it's a shooter coming off of a screen. And quickly, who doesn't like shooting while moving to his left, which is odd. Most right-hand players love shooting going to their left because you get to anchor um, yourself and your weight and your balance on the non-shooting side so you can keep your shooting side square as you rise up. He's different. He loves going to his right. Just some interesting biomechanics jump shot stuff from Emmanuel quickly. So he couldn't get shots off. And the way that the Grizzlies were playing with a lot of like hedge and recover or just straight switching, it meant that he didn't have a lot of room to get his jumpers off. They played good defense on him. And, you know, he ends up with 10 assists in this game. He also has five rebounds and two steals. Like the one steal I really liked, but the assists I think are a little bit juiced. They they have been for like Dennis all season. They have been for quickly all season. Like there's just the Raptors running through some of their actions. You're going to get assists, but quickly on the whole, I think really failed to create advantages. He's three of 13 overall, only one of his shots. He was one of seven inside the arc. He's below 40% inside the arc as a Raptor. The floaters haven't really been dropping. The layups definitely haven't been going down. And he needs more room to operate in there. That's kind of what I talked about a couple episodes ago. I had spoken with Eric Spolstra about using the extra dribble, how difficult that is to teach, even though it is something you want to teach, how important it is as something that players do. Um, Emmanuel has to add it. And if he isn't going to add it, his touch at the rim needs to be immaculate, and it just hasn't been there. He's struggled to be like a linchpin of the offense in some of these games, and in this game, he just didn't have the juice for it. Uh, no comment. on Like, that doesn't change his potential going forward. It doesn't change anything. He's going to be a player who builds his game out of his shot making, particularly the perimeter jumper. And I'm excited to see what it looks like once Jakob is back in the fold. Of course, Jakob could be traded at the trade deadline as well, as is the case with like half of this team. You know, everybody's talking about Chris Boucher getting traded. You could have listened to the Buckets and Tea episode I did a couple weeks ago with Catherine, where I said, like, that's the guy I would think, you know? And so. Like Dennis could get traded, Chris could get traded, um, Nora could get traded, Otto could get traded, like Gary could get traded, Bruce Brown could get traded. It's this team is in a very difficult spot. And Emmanuel quickly, as the point guard who has to now try and create for all these different moving parts and also maintain his own self creation, is having a tough time. All of that, all that kind of stuff going on uh phoenix play z i was hoping you'd be in here man because um obviously because of the conversation we had after the last game um here doyle had a twitter thread that you might like kind of comparing how and after he showed it i think that the the scotty and shea timelines are closer than i initially thought but i still think they're pretty far apart but anyway um just wanted to make you just acknowledge that like you were you were definitely closer than I initially thought I'd, I'd been given extra information, but Phoenix plays. says, Samson, this is not a bad loss, man. Embrace the tank with us all. We are entering OKC 2.0 rebuild era. I'm not going to litigate the whole thing, but maybe, maybe this team is not so good. I'll be interested to see. We can really lock down 
what this team might start to look like after the trade deadline. Because as I just mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for this team before they have consistency and buy-in up and down the roster. Obviously, you would hope that everyone has it all the time, regardless of their own interests, all that kind of stuff. You know, I think people can still be professional while still kind of being like, I don't know what's going on here with this team. I'm not, I haven't been able to acclimate and I don't know how much I should be working on acclimating because I might be out the door, all that kind of stuff. It's a team in flux, you know? Emma, the biggest OG fan in the world, says everything will be okay, she says. Um, yeah, that's true. Everything will be okay. It's just basketball, you know? Obviously, it's better to watch good basketball. I didn't particularly enjoy that much of this game. It was sloppy. It was There was not that much fun to derive from it outside of, you know, Scotty, RJ, Jaron. Like, Santi Aldama, I think, plays like, I don't know, a fun brand of basketball. He's a pretty clever player. I think Williams, like Vince, was pretty fun on the Grizzlies side. But there's a lot of things that the Raptors are supposed to be good at that they had trouble doing in this game, you know? Like, that's that's just flat out how it's been. Um, Phoenix plays easy, says, okay, but RJ shot 71% true shooting. That should make it fun enough. I did enjoy it. Like, you could ask Blake and Will, I suppose. They both saw it. But, like, RJ, I was flexing on Meteor Row after that one bump he took in air. I was like, holy smokes, man. He, his drives to the rim have been, like, very there's a lot of punch to him i enjoy it immensely he, a fellow lefty rj and i and i i spoke to rj after the game and i asked him if he was doing hey he's a confident guy you know rj is a confident guy i asked him if he had been doing any, anything different after citing how much better he's been since he came to the raptors and he obviously i think he seemed bristled bristled at that question because he was like no this is just me and then later went on to talk about how the context of the Raptors helped, which is kind of what I meant. But I also was like, are you doing anything different? But he maybe you get so much criticism with the New York media that you would be kind of like defensive towards that. Like, are you what are you saying about my game before? Which wasn't really my intent because I didn't I wasn't like a, an RJ shit talker prior. I was happy he joined the team at the trade before he started balling out. but. You know, you're used to certain types of media. Maybe me being like, hey, you ran the exact same ATO blade action in the third quarter as you did in New York under Tibbs. Like, maybe you're like, why the hell are you asking asking me these questions? Something like that. Um, I did not make an enemy. Don't worry. Uh, no, no enemies made. Um, but yeah, RJ was awesome tonight. And, you know, the one assist, as I said before, it wasn't really... I don't think it's a lack of playmaking. I think it's just um, he just kept getting to the rim. True shooting percentage, as Phoenix laid out. Everybody in chat is calling me mean now. Certainly, that's not my intent. Um, but yeah, the Raptors, I just, I just think that they weren't very um, effective tonight offensively. And there were some stretches where they were good defensively. Um, and like that's one thing that I've enjoyed is that Scotty has really been able to, I think, hold down the back end of the off, like the defense in time, uh, at times, sorry. It's a huge deal. 
it's uh it's something that is like a ton of fun to watch like being able to put up six blocks is nuts and it's just a quiet thing for scotty right there's a lot of guys you put up six blocks in the game you remember that for your whole career for him maybe it's just it's just another day um channel says wanted you to know the pre-roll ad for this live stream was a promo for saskatchewan this whole live stream's a promo for saskatchewan baby um anyway kind of stupid thing to say uh it, w- it wasn't that good a game though the the talent on both ends was lacking from what most people expect from both teams and there's guys missing on both teams and the raptors were left in this game to wade through the muck with dennis Schroeder line drives and eventually finding their way to post-ups from scotty and trying to keep up and trying to keep up on the defensive end with a lot of you know pretty aggressive point of attack defense and then the memphis kind of getting away from all of that and running a bunch of stuff you know the raptors and memphis both got stuck in the same pattern trying to score it's just memphis went to above the break isolations and you know the raptors went to below the break post-ups and that that to me i thought was interesting because both teams got stuck with like kind of underwhelming guards not a lot of pop there whether it was like quickly and you know gary getting stuck above the break and not being able to turn anything downhill or maybe if you like you want to talk about like john concha or luke Kennard, those guys not being able to get downhill even though they're filtering through a whole huge sequence of like dribble handoffs and stuff like that um neither team was able to get their guards downhill a whole bunch especially not on primary actions so they go to jaron on one side and you know they go to scotty on the other and down the stretch, I think Scotty was like scoring at the rate that Jaron was, if not better, creating better looks. It was just they were in such a hole. And, you know, them's the breaks, man. You're not going to win them all, especially when you can't score. They scored 100 in this game. They scored 100 in last game. And I'm waiting for Emmanuel quickly, certainly, to be able to create more once Jakob is back. Because I think that they had showed initially a decent bit of synergy and also he's a guy he's a he's a slender guy i'm not saying he's not well built for the nba but he's a slender guy getting clearance off of screens is really helpful you know quickly is the name but it's also partly the game is you want to get a guy off you caught on a screen skirt downhill maybe on a two-on-one it's harder to achieve that with jante it's harder to achieve that with thad you know when thad is there i talked to darko about this after the game but that is they go to a lot of delay action because a lot of these guys are like moving parts they're just getting plugged into the raptors for however long and on top of that you know it everybody knows delay every nba players run delay so you run delay and that is the decision maker in delay in that five out offense and maybe that doesn't work the best for Emmanuel quickly, but that's kind of what they're running. And the pick and roll with Thad is like not going to put him rolling to the rim with thunder and applause. He's going to short roll and they might be aggressive on ball with quickly. So you're just getting the ball out of his hands and it's not really getting anything downhill. It's maybe getting middle, but high middle. And then you're going sideline and then you're going above the break and you're just trying to find that shot. It's tough, you know, and then you shoot 35% from three and you only make eight of them the whole game it's tough to create offense except from rj barrett and then later scotty barnes but it, like it is pretty crazy thad let was third 
in scoring tonight. That's how destitute the offense was. And yeah, we're waiting. We're waiting on shoes to drop. It's not even like the other shoe. It's like shoes, plural, a lot of them. Um, Coco says 17-ish more days until we know what we look like going forward. Yeah. And I suspect the players are going to enjoy that too. Um, also talking to Darko about, uh, you know, what what this three-day rest will mean because they'll get a couple more practices in and they'll get a lot of that kind of stuff. I guess we'll see if anything looks better after this three-game stretch, but I think that's maybe a little bit idealistic. Of course, that's what, you know, Darko will say. He's the coach. He wants to go and work on stuff. That's his job. He should be excited for any time he gets practice with these guys because he's the coach and practice is where he most meaningfully gets to like lean in and coach these guys, which also leads me to you guys will get the early stuff. I'll have a piece out tomorrow about Darko being being um, like a really well-loved, really well-loved developmental coach. So this is going to be the lead to the piece. I'm walking in the tunnel. There's the photographer, snaps a picture of Darko. We're coming out at the same time. Shake hands, say hi. I got my camera. I'm going to take all my pictures pregame of the guys working out and kind of pay attention to what drills guys are going through. And Darko and I hit the court at the same time. Who's out there but Desmond Bain, who didn't play in this game, but is a player who is given a testimonial about um, Darko and how important he was to his development. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool because, like, as soon as Darko steps out, Dez has this big, big smile on his face, and Darko does too. And it's a it's a picture on my, on my Twitter, but I got a picture of them embracing each other, and they had, like, a good, like, a great little chat. And it's cool to see that. And I asked him about it pregame, and he had, like, is that something you love about coaching? And he said it's the thing that he loves most about coaching is the developmental aspect, seeing players grow. And then Darko, after he catches up with Dez, he walks down to the other side of the court. Grady is working on stuff in the corner. Darko steps in, shows him some footwork stuff, walks through stuff. I also have pictures of that on Twitter as well. But it was just cool to see a guy, you know, who had such an impact as a developmental coach, as just a coach in general, a person in general, on Desmond Bain's early career. And... He walks and then he walks over immediately to Grady, starts giving pointers. And it's like, hell yeah, nice to see coaches doing that. And so I asked him before the game, like what that means. And then also, you know, talking about like talking with Taylor Jenkins too before the game, who coached with Darko, was Darko's head coach for a time. And um, that was cool to see too, because Taylor, he was like, Darko is one of the best basketball minds I've ever known. Talked about him being like a great man great husband, a great person, and somebody who has like an effervescence about him to impact the people around them, not necessarily just with positivity, but with, you know, really sharp intellect for the game. And so it's those types of comments that make you feel like even on a night where the Raptors lose to a bad team, because the Raptors don't seem like they're a good team at this point in time, you have a guy like Darko who has testimonials from players all over the NBA, be it like Desmond Bain or Devin Booker, you know, hopefully in a few years, it's guys like Grady and Scotty uh, and, and coaches also give him a lot of his his due as well. Um, you think like that guy can kind of shepherd you out of what will be like uh, a time in the 
you know, in the franchise that requires patience. There's a reason Masai cautioned patience. He had an idea about what was going to happen going forward, and he cautioned patience. That's that's going to be necessary. Um, Grady, we could talk about then. Not not like a good Grady game, but that's not a big deal. So, uh, not a huge game for Grady. As I said, you know, you have guys like Emmanuel quickly getting trapped above the break, not being able to find space for his own shots, not being able to create his own shots. This wasn't like a free-flowing offensive game. You know, the only one that really was post-Pascal trade was that Miami game where Miami, it looked like the, the Heat team, they walked out of the club and into the game. <laughs> you know, it seemed like um, Grady it was free-flowing. He steps in and cashes triples in that game, of course. Um, but like got one shot up in this game, missed his corner three. It wasn't a huge deal for him. And I thought he also played really well, albeit with like more garbage time against the the New York Knicks. So there's been some shot making from him, but largely he's still a guy who doesn't want to put down more than one dribble, who is like competing like hell just to be mediocre defensively because of like some physicality stuff. And he can be in the right place, but if he's going to, like, he took a charge tonight, which was nice. And and if he's going to be, like, in the right place, but not be able to contend with some of the physicality in those spots on the court, it's going to be tough. But this team is no longer about winning. Even when they were about winning this season, they weren't really doing it. So the pivot has been made. You can play a guy like Grady, have him go 0 for 1, just get some, like, jog up and out, get some get some cardio in. That's the game. It wasn't a good game for Grady. Nothing big or that important happened. In fact, a lot of it was underwhelming. But that is his right as a rookie. The 13th overall pick got a jog in. He's had two really strong games relative to expectations over his past five. That's good. We are moving forward. Emma says Grady actually getting a chance. Thank God. Yeah. And he's going to keep continuing to get chances. He closed out the game. And Darko said because... He wants Grady to know what that's like to close out a game. And the game wasn't, I don't, the game seemed a lot farther apart for the whole, the duration of it than the eight points it ends up at. But this is a team that like, they battled hard. They found the Scotty post-ups late. They competed on defense and they lost via isolation and a little bit of rebounding. But they, you know, they hustled. They did their best. And uh, they end up losing. Everybody in chat, you know, is talking about like tank, losing, this is the way it needs to be. And I think like at least that's the, you know, it's aligned. That's what my piece was about today. You know, I, I talked about the, the patience aspect that Masai talked about. I talked about team building in general and how I think everybody had a, a you know, a sigh of relief when the Raptors kind of signaled that like, hey, we're not going to be good. And everyone said like, finally a direction. And, you know, picking the direction seemed hard given where the Raptors were, but picking the direction at this point in the process is the easiest thing to do. Now you have to walk out that path. You have to take every single, like the skill tree or the branching timelines that could happen of how you want to build your team, what decisions you want to make, all that kind of stuff. Um, everything is before the Raptors, Masai and Bobby right now. And Scotty and Emmanuel Quickly and RJ, Barbecue, BBQ, they can all help through their own play 
inform decisions by how good they play, what they bring to the floor, all that kind of stuff. But largely it's on Masai and Bobby as they make this bet on themselves to find their second wind as, you know, decision makers for this Toronto team. And what I wrote was like, a path is only a path once you've walked it. Like before that, you're just kind of like trying to go in a general direction. So the Raptors, they're in headed in a general direction now. You know, um, X Jiu-Jitsu X says, or sorry, um, YG7 says it's pretty much a blank canvas. And I agree. The Raptors could try and build a lot of different ways from here on out. We'll see what they're able to muster. But on a game like tonight, where we talked about some of the things they struggled with, some of the things they succeeded at, it's, uh, you know, it's just another loss. The Raptors were losing when they had, you know, high ideals for this team and expectations. They were losing. I understand, like, they were 15 and 11 post trade deadline, you know, last season. I understand, like, seeing Pascal go for, what, like, 33 and 8 in the play-in game was awesome. And, like, that's that's the thing, though, right? Is like, Pascal goes for 33 and 8. He missed the free throws, though. Tough. Fred was a huge piece of the post-trade deadline offense because the biggest part of the offense was the pick and roll between Fred and Jakob and how they built out sets out of that. And the Raptors had a lot of success. But what happened in that play-in game is Fred, they started switching Nikola Vucevic onto him, and he couldn't score on Nikola Vucevic. So the Raptors' offense dried up. You know, the guys who were here had a bit of a chance to make more of an impact and encased in good performances were these letdowns. And, you know, the Raptors didn't really get a chance to retain that team. Fred walks out the door. So it begins. They made it like, what, 35, 36 games before, you know, OG is gone. Eight or nine games later, Pascal is gone. Now there's guys who came back from those trades who could also be gone. I mean, half the roster could be, I'm not saying half the roster will be traded, but half the roster could be traded. It's there in flux, and we see what happens now. You know, all the aforementioned guys, Pascal, Fred, OG, are should be well-loved in Toronto and like into the future, but they're no longer a part of it. Manuel quickly, RJ Barrett, and a Scotty Barnes above all else will have a chance to like stamp themselves on this franchise. And we'll see who else comes along during the ride. But patience indeed. And a general direction indeed. But we don't know what that path is yet. And neither do they, quite frankly. Because a lot of it is not only context dependent on how the players develop going forward, but it's context dependent on who becomes available around the league. It's context dependent on a million different things that you couldn't possibly project. You just have to, as a decision maker in the NBA, especially at the top end, you know, a job many people would take because it pays handsomely and you're doing basketball and all that kind of stuff. I would do it. I don't think I'd be good at it. It's a difficult job. They have a difficult job ahead of them, Bobby and Masai. And we'll see. Tonight, not a great performance. In the future, I guess we'll see. Um, Flavius Film says, what do you want for Bruce Brown? Hmm. I believe the reporting around that is that the Raptors are looking for uh, um, like a rotation player or a young player and a pick, if I'm correct, right? 
So I feel like that's you're hitting big with Bruce Brown if you're able to, you know. Um Bruce Brown, I think, is like and really can be an impressive player. He was obviously a huge part of a championship run, a championship winning team. And like that's not even, you know, Pascal was a huge part of a championship run, like a massive, massive part. But we're years removed from that. Bruce Brown should have a lot of cachet, like on the, I guess, like in the trade bubble or whatever the hell, because, you know, we're looking at a guy who was just part of like this fantastic, fantastic team. And he he's such like a heady cutter. He's such a like he has such terrific feel for the game. He he should be a guy that a lot of teams look at, you know, a lot of contenders look at and say that guy could fit. That guy could be right there with us. Um, yeah, X Jujitsu X. Since I didn't respond to your what you said earlier, what you say now, the best case scenario is to get Laurie Markinen, which works best with Scotty. I'll tell you what, you're right. That is one of the best case scenarios I can like think of. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Um, Aubrey Los Ojos says, Samson, what were you doing in 2019? Intern at OVO. I I don't have the cachet to, to intern anywhere, man. I came into this, this industry without going to sports media. I came into this, this industry without doing journalism. I came into this industry with Raptors Republic. And the only reason I'm able to do it is because people like my stuff. Um, and also interning is whack. You know, unpaid internships, all that kind of stuff. In 2019, I was actually doing this. Um, William Liu had just taken a job with Yahoo Sports Canada, which is now defunct. I was a part of the people who got, I guess, laid off as part of that or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, Yahoo Sports Canada was ramping up. They brought Will Liu onto Yahoo Sports Canada, which ended up being obviously a great decision because Will is the biggest voice, I guess, technically in like Canadian basketball for his, his show over time. And would go on to be like the voice of the podcast during the championship run, which meant that he vacated the Raptors Republic podcast in 2019. I had started with Raptors Republic in the like the end of summer of 2018, the start of the championship season, basically. And I had inherited the podcast from Will. Will had inherited from Blake and Zarar, and I've had it this entire time. So I think... Will and I have held the Raptors Republic podcast for about the same amount of time. And yeah, that's what I was doing. So I, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's what I was doing then. So I was actually covering it. You go if you wanted to, which you shouldn't, because I think it's worse than it is now, but you could listen to the reaction podcast of like the Raptors winning the championship or after, after you know like the the Kawhi shot or something like that but I was writing a lot of articles and I was like yeah I don't know I do a lot now obviously but yeah I was doing a lot more written stuff back then because I hadn't taken on the podcast yet then once I took on the podcast I was like okay cool because I always like when I worked at Foot Locker I discovered um kind of like not really podcasts but I discovered Raptors writers and I used to like I used to be a salesman at Foot Locker, but then I became the the stock room manager or whatever. And so when 
I was like moving all the boxes around and doing all the backroom stuff. I would always listen to podcasts and mostly Jalen and Jacoby, but I discovered Raptors Republic and I discovered William Lou and I would listen to that podcast. So it was cool when I eventually, I guess, inherited it. So yeah, I guess uh, that's kind of what I was doing. In, well, that's the Raptors Republic lineage of the podcast. I don't know who gets it after me. I don't, uh, I don't really know. But I know I know Kai wants it, um, who I, I love dearly. And I think he's a great writer and he's just starting up. He's from New York. Um, yeah. OG3 says, do you have any fave young prospects we can get for Bruce Brown? Honestly, I sorry to everybody like at 1.15 a.m. I haven't really done the deep dive on what I think Bruce Brown's market is and who I think is gettable, you know? And the last time I set my eyes on what I thought was a gettable prospect, Andrew Nemhard, he didn't come along in the deal, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how it is. Emma asks, do I always want to cover the Raptors? Would you move markets if an opportunity came up? Yeah, sure. Um, I like covering the Raptors because it's the team I grew up watching and it's in Canada. You know, changing markets, as you acknowledge in the next comment, is um, a lot easier across the 29 American teams than it is, um, you know, from Canada to go elsewhere. But uh, yeah, Alex says Grimes in response to Bruce Brown. I think that's, uh, that's possible for sure. I think, uh, but also there was a report that Grimes, the Knicks wanted to trade him to the Western Conference. So who knows? X Jiu-Jitsu X also says that uh, they think we missed out on Jairus Walker, but most likely Masai tried. Yeah, Masai tried. I'll go on wax for that. Um, Masai tried for Nemhard. Masai tried for Jairus. 100%. Uh, you can source me on that. But that's not particularly interesting to source on. But yes, they tried for Jairus. And, you know, the Raptors, they wanted... The Raptors wanted this Pascal saga to be done. And when they saw three first-rounders and Bruce... I think they felt like it was good enough. You know, there's almost 90 people in chat. Make sure you like the video because it's free. You're here. Hopefully you like me. And it will do a really good job of helping promote this via the algorithm. Micah Zion says, I asked a while ago on Twitter if the rap should go for a center with Pirtle down, and you said no. Have these games changed your mind? Well, I'll say this much. Coloco was released since then, I think, which makes it tougher. Even though Coloco may very well join the Raptors, you know, later on, um, I still feel like the Raptors shouldn't go for a center. Pirtle will come back, and Pirtle solves a lot of the stuff they're trying to do. And that's kind of, you know, that's, that's what it is. Um, I don't think these games have changed my mind. I know, I know what a center means. Many Raptors analysts and Raptors fans and Whoever the hell else watches a lot of the Raptors should know what a center means after the past few seasons. You should never take for granted what a center is able to do. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's something that the Raptors have to be mindful of going forward. But I think that they, they put themselves in a really strong position with their center rotation coming into this season. It's just they've had, you know, Jakob played most of the games, but the team has obviously been changing rapidly. And Coloco... It, with his health, it's just like, damn, we'll see what happens. But um, have these games changed my mind? 
No, not necessarily. I think Jakob will be able to get the guys, like a lot of the good reps they need with a good roller, with a good screener. And I think that like having Jante and Thad for the rest of the season kind of battle it out and like be like guys who step in. Yeah. Emma says, I heart on the Knicks is nice. Myself and Blake years ago, we're doing a live, we're doing a podcast when Hartenstein got signed to the Nuggets out of the draft. And we were both really disappointed because we wanted him for the Raptors. I have been watching his career with much intrigue, Palpatine meme. Um, and yeah, Hartenstein is like awesome. He's a really, really great center. And especially a guy who can just step in as a, as a starter. So yeah. I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, Coco mentioned that I missed a chance at a plug. Yes, I will have. I'll say it right now. Okay, so I think I have most of the guest list for the podcast. If I'm missing anybody, I have a video coming out on it. Um, 888MJL says, I think they might go after Claxton in the summer. I would love that. I really adore Nicholas Claxton's game. I think it's awesome. But February 6th, Rivoli, downtown Toronto. Last year, we sold it out. It's a live podcast. Myself and Lewis, there will be two panels. One of us will host each panel. The guests, I believe, are a G League coach, William Liu, Blake Murphy, Imana Don, Trevon Heath, Esfandiar Berheni, and Andrew Damlin. And I can't remember who else might come, but it's going to be a really fun night of talking hoops. Last last year was was awesome. I enjoyed chatting with everybody like on stage and doing the show and all that kind of stuff. But also more importantly, like all the in-between stuff, getting to know people and catching up and all that kind of stuff. So that is um, the guess. As far as I know, there will be a video that more concretely says, like, here's the guess. Here's what we're trying to do. So if you want to come chop it up with anybody and come and hang out with like people who are like minded and really like the Raptors. It'll just be a night downtown Toronto with a lot of people who are like-minded and it's a good way to meet people in the community. It's a good way to meet um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's Rivoli, downtown Toronto, February 6th. Okay. The Gubstown Clink says, sounds good. Good stream tonight too. Thanks. Can I actually just say Gubstown Clink? I've noticed you like comment on stuff over the years even. You're always very kind. So thank you. And I, like I based on commentary as well. I think you have a great eye for kind of like uh, basketball as well, based based on what I've seen. But yeah, thank thank you. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed the stream. Micah, quote, Lewis's panel is how on how to fit history metaphors into Raptors coverage. Yeah, so actually, give me one second. I'll keep talking the whole time. So this is all a bunch of stuff, but if you come to the live podcast, what you'll be able to purchase for very cheap is I cut the sleeves off of mine and my apologies to audio listeners, but a minute basketball shirt. So this is like a really neat shirt, a shirt that is near and dear to my heart. But there was a newsletter that Lewis and I used to do, which was minute basketball or minute basketball, which was basically like the metaphorical exploration of basketball. And we would have a metaphor to describe basketball through that lens every single week. And we used to do it. And I'm really proud of the stuff we wrote there. I thought it was super cool, but um, it didn't pay the bills. It was like maybe a bit too minute as, you know, ironic as that is. 
Um, Emma says, okay, I'll come, I guess. I doubt that very highly. Being in New Zealand, I, I don't expect you'll make it. Um, Coco says, players as ships. Yes, that was that was really funny too because Lewis um, had uh, had Ben Simmons as the Suez Canal when it was blocked up by the one ship. I can't remember what the ship's name was, but yeah, really fun. Uh, yeah. OG3 says, did you see Chris Finch's quote about Cat's game? Yeah, I did. I actually hated that. Uh, I think coaches should really try and stay away from the paternalistic talk because everybody's adults, you know, in the NBA for the most, well, you are an adult by proxy of being in the NBA. And I think saying like the same way I think that Masai probably regrets using the word selfish because then it ruminates and you know gives people license to use it all the time and then it sticks and then players have to deal with that kind of stuff because the GM or the, you know the president said it using the term immature I think is not good and I, and I typically don't really uh, agree with calling out players in media um, because you can go talk to them like as, as crazy and I say this having covered you know, Nick Nurse all last year where you'd talk to Nick Nurse and he'd say some stuff on wax. And then you'd talk to like Chris Boucher or Precious Achua or Gary Trent Jr. and say, has he talked to you about this? And they'd say, no, it doesn't seem constructive to me, you know, and that's part like NBA coaches have to be great at what they do. I think uh, like I think that they have to be great at what they do from a basketball point of view, decision-making rotations, scheme style, all that kind of stuff. Of course, of course, but also part of the job is knowing that like you are dealing with some of the best athletes in the world who have, uh, I think like big egos because that's what is required of them big egos, major confidence, basically every player, even if you're like a role player in the NBA, you were the best player everywhere you grew up, sometimes even in college, right? So being able to manage those types of personalities is really important. And I think like, I don't know, lambasting people in media, I don't think it works that well. And I, you know, it's, I don't know, would stay away from like paternalistic terms probably. Um, Anthony Edwards had a comment on it after the game too. And he, I thought his answer was better than Chris Finch's. All that said, I really liked what Chris Finch did as a coach in Toronto. I've really liked what he's done as a coach in Minnesota. I think he is a really good coach, but I think that that comment out to media missed the mark for me. But, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am at with that. Hopefully not a big deal. What they're like, Minnesota's 30 and 13 now. I really love a lot of what they do in Minnesota. I think that they're like, you know, it's a really impressive team. So, yeah. X Jiu-Jitsu X says Edwards versus Scotty are both the face or Edwards. Uh, Shea is the face of the NBA going forward. That's what everybody, like, I know I'm supposed to say it's Scotty. Like, sorry to Scotty. He can be uh, he can be the face of the Raptors, and he is right now. Um uh, actually, this is a, a great comment that I agree with from Aubrey Los Ojos. says, coaches get away with it because most fans don't give players the proper respect slash humanity either. And quote, I agree completely. I think a lot of times people want coaches 
fellow players or shock jock analysts to use terms that are dehumanizing towards players because it makes people feel better about like the heinous stuff they say about players. You know, they, they want it to normalize. And who better to normalize it than the people who cover the league or the people who deal with the players, right? Or coach the players. And so that's why I think the people who are in those positions should be really careful about the language they use. Um, but great comment there. Um, but yeah, I think Shea is the face of the NBA going forward. He like he's at fashion week. He's he's everywhere, man. And he's so damn good. Like, I think Wemby or sorry, not Wemby. Richard Pilsky commented Wemby. Wemby could be the face of the league, certainly. But on top of that, though, like Embiid could win MVP this year. He's probably the odds on favorite. But Shea is going to be right there. He's that guy. I've been saying this for a long time. I've been on Shea for like a long time. Um, yeah, that's that's something I'm I'm very, very interested in. So, yeah. To, to flip this back to Darko, though, as Aubrey Los Ojos says, it's the old Phil Jackson style paternalism that people didn't understand was problematic in the 90s and aughts. Uh, agreed, I think. And then on top of that, like Darko met with Phil Jackson, you know, a couple weeks ago, which was cool because Phil is obviously has a big impact on many different coaches. But also, I think that is a cool inflection point because Darko is seen as more of a collaborator with players. How can I help you? What can I do here? Yes, this is my system. Yes, this is kind of like my brainchild for how we want to run things, but I'm here for your success. And all of the testimonials are from guys who I think do, hmm, got guys who believe Darko does it with like a good heart and good intention. And that doesn't mean that Darko is the best coach. It doesn't mean he's a championship level coach at this point or anything like that, but it's good uh, to have good humans in and around the players. You want to, you want that stuff to, you know, replicate. You want that stuff to multiply and it helps when uh, that kind of stuff happens. So yeah. Uh, grateful for Darko's approach. And I think the players are too, um, even if the wins aren't coming. So yeah. Um, the chat is very, very, um, for, uh, uh, let's say elevated as far as like the terminology, just there's too many people talking about it, but everybody kind of like, um, joining hands to admonish some of the, the loaded language around the NBA and the way humans are discussed. Awesome. Yeah, Aubrey Los Ojos asks, did Shea play any other sports growing up? I don't know, but he's like biomechanically is able to achieve like incredibly unique things. If you told me he was excellent at rollerblading or figure skating or was great at soccer or hockey or whatever the hell else, it wouldn't surprise me. But I have no idea about Shea's childhood, to be quite honest with you. But we're 50 minutes in. And that feels like a podcast to me. And about 35 of that, I think, was about the game at hand. So thank you to all the audio listeners for sticking in. Before I get out of here, uh, make sure to like the video. People watching live right now, thank you to everybody for joining in at like 1 p.m. Or sorry, 1 a.m., which is late. I'm going to go make some ramen and write a piece. Um, that's, that's what I think I'm going to do. Okay. Thanks, everybody, um, just for being insightful and engaging. Makes these things way better. Okay, I'll see y'all. Oh, and make sure to come back to Raptors Republic, the YouTube page, tomorrow, since Esfandiar Berheni 
formerly of the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, where he did fantastic, fantastic recaps. He'll have one. He's doing them for Raptors Republic now. So come back here tomorrow morning and hell yeah. And if you want to subscribe to the website, feel free to do so. RaptorsRepublic.com. Okay. Thank you to everybody for listening. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.